Hello, I am your host, Mike Gelb, and welcome to The Consumer VC, where we're going to be diving into the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. On today's episode, we have our first Los Angeles investor, Anna Barber, who is the Managing Director of Techstars LA. For all founders in the Los Angeles area, applications to be part of Techstars LA 2020 cohort are open. You have until April 5th, 2020 to apply. The link is also in the show notes. Techstars is a global seed accelerator and worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed and is currently in over 150 countries worldwide. Wow. Some of their alumni include ClassPass, PillPack, and Contently. Previously, Anna has experience as a corporate lawyer, McKinsey consultant, product executive, and entrepreneur in ed tech, retail, and e-commerce. On this episode, we're going to talk to Anna about the inner workings of, of the Techstar Accelerator program, Los Angeles Tech's ecosystem, and much, much more. So without further ado, here's Anna. So Anna, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast, The Consumer VC. How are you? I'm great, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Thank you. So you are a lawyer. You worked at McKinsey. And what attracted you to kind of shift and, and work with early stage startups? So I was in those corporate roles in the 90s. And, you know, the first internet boom was in the late 90s. And I actually left McKinsey to join a startup back in 1999. And that's when I originally got the bug. So I was in San Francisco working at an internet company in 1999 during the kind of first big tech wave. Awesome. What are some of the criteria working at Techstars that you have when it comes to evaluating startups? Uh, I know as an accelerator, it's very early in the cycle, uh, but you're also past the incubation stage. Do founders need to have a beta product and can they be pre-revenue? Yeah. So, so, so two questions there. So first of all, just to set the stage, um, you know, Techstars is um, the global network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. Um, and the main way we do that is through these accelerator programs. And the one that I run is Techstars LA, which focuses on investing in LA companies. So every year we bring together 10 companies, most of whom are building their businesses in LA, which is interesting because then the experience for them isn't just about going through this 12-week program. It's about being part of a community that's here in LA. Um, that includes the alums that have come through the program before. So we now have 30 companies that have gone through this program, most of whom are building here in LA, along with another 40 companies that went through other Techstars programs that are here. So there's actually quite a big community. So that's kind of the context of what we do. Um, in terms of, and then you asked about the stage, you know, that's right for coming into the program. So the ideal stage, I would call it sort of pre-seed. So you've got a team together, you've built a product, you may be in the market, have some revenue, um, but the main point is there has to be a product that's ready to get in front of customers so that you can test and learn rapidly. And you have to have the team that's able to kind of formulate hypotheses about where you're going to find product market fit and test those hypotheses because Techstars is set up um, on a weekly rapid learning cycle to help you find product market fit and gain traction. And if you don't have either the product or the right stage or the team to do that, you know, it's going to be much harder to, to um, get a lot of value out of the program. So on the flip side, I would say there's such a thing as maybe too far along. So for example, if you've got a pretty big team and 
you know, let's say you've developed a big consulting business, which is paying the bills and that's occupying a lot of your team's time. And that team might not have the time or the kind of agility to quickly make pivots, um, just might not be as, as agile or as movable Then that team also might not be a good fit. So there's kind of a sweet spot in the middle. And then, you know, in terms of the, so that's about the stage. And then the other part of your question was about, you know, the qualities. Um, and that's really where I think, you know, the magic is, is, is looking for founders who who are curious, who are coming in wanting to learn as opposing to think that they have the, the business plan and the go-to-market strategy all mapped out. Founders who have um, an incredible conviction about wanting to create something and bring something new into the world, but are incredibly open about what that looks like or how to, the how of doing that. Founders who are humble, who have the ability to say, I made a mistake. I think when you're a founder, you have to get really, really good at just saying, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong over and over again, and just accepting that you were wrong and moving in a different direction and, and learning. And then, you know, sense of humor and kind of grit, kind of stick to you know, the kind of founders that, you know, are really committed to doing this for the long haul. I have never met a founder, including founders of companies that are widely seen as overnight successes who didn't work at it and, you know, for years on end. So knowing that that's what's ahead, I want to see people that have that kind of, that kind of grit and tenacity. That makes a lot of sense. So would you mind just taking me through Techstars and, and an accelerator? I know it's three months long, but what does actually that entail? So the program, you know, we've done this program now almost 200 times since Techstars was first launched in Boulder, Colorado in 2007. So, and we keep working with the format and it gets better every time we do another Techstars program somewhere in the world. Um, So it's a 12 week program and it's roughly divided into three sections. So the first section is mentor office hours and we bring in um, really an amazing group of people who volunteer their time to mentor companies, most of whom are serial exited founders themselves and just want to give back to the community um, and have been there and know how difficult it is. Um, and we do um, rapid fire office hours. So every, every mentor meets with every team. We do, you know, there are over 500 meetings that happen, you know, in the period of, of you know, this few weeks. Um, and so what the, the benefit of that for the founders is, one, getting a lot of feedback all at once from a bunch of different voices on how they're talking about the business and what their plan is. The second benefit is finding people, you know, rapidly expanding their network of people that can help them get answers, make connections and, and, you know, move forward and get where they need to go. The third benefit is finding a smaller group of people who actually want to roll up their, their sleeves and kind of work with the company over the 12 weeks. Um, you know, to actually dig in and do work. So each, so that's a kind of ma- dating process, almost a matching process where the companies say who they'd like to have as a lead mentor and the mentors pick who they want to work with. And so you end up with this virtual advisory board that helps you get through the program. Then we move into execution phase, which is all about working with weekly learning objectives about learning more about your customers, um, learning more about your growth strategy, learning more about where product market fit is, Um, It gets everyone really, really focused on what's the most important problem I need to solve today and working with their mentors to figure that out, designing experiments, running them, and moving on to the next week. 
um, which usually results in some really interesting shifts in the approach to the business and ideally some really great growth and value metrics that come out of that process. And in the third phase, we focus on fundraising or communicating, um, which really is a lot of storytelling. So there's a little bit of blocking and tackling on the mechanics of how do you put together a funding process, but it's a lot about how do we communicate the, the power of what you're trying to do here and use data to tell a great story and then take that out to the investor community or to customers or to who it, whoever it is you're trying to um, get your message out to. Um, and then that all wraps up in, in, you know, we do a traditional demo day um, and, and it's less about, you know, being a fundraising event than it is about a culminating event that's a celebration of all the work done and a forcing function really to get that story really tight. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in terms of the three different uh, phases, just to recap, you have your mentor office hours, which these are kind of a rapid fire office hours and helps you expand their network. I'd imagine that founders are doing a lot of pitches. So we actually train both the founders and the mentors how to have a productive 20 minute mentorship meeting. Yeah. So there's a lot of pre-work that goes in to make sure those meetings are high, are really valuable. Right. And, and, you know, for example, if you're, you know, you've, you've been in a bad meeting, we've all been in a bad meeting where you're not connecting or I'm feeling bored. I'm not really listening. I'm checking my phone, whatever it is. And kind of like, why are we here? Um, so the whole process is designed to get to what is it that I can help you with? Like, what's the conversation we can have in this 20 minutes that's going to help you move forward, right? So we teach founders how to dig around to find that connection. And we teach the mentors how to redirect the conversation. If the founder's trying to ask them about something that's not really a good area to explore, to help them redirect to find that thing that they can be helpful on. So in some cases, you might look at someone's background and, you know, see they were, did a, you know, a lot of consumer growth. So be asking them about growth hacking or something. And they're like, you know, what I can really help you with is this interesting situation you have with your co-founding team. You know, let's talk about that. So we, so we try to really help people hone in on how to be useful. No, that's, that's awesome. Um, and I actually like how it's very, very short and, and, and you only have a 20 minute period. With the execution phase and growth strategy, I'd imagine this is the area where a lot of your uh, associates and, and people that work at Techstars full-time that really, really help uh, the startups. Is that right? Um, yes, we have a team of associates that, that, um, that we bring in for the program who um, might be marketing, might have deep skill in marketing and financial modeling and design um, in operations and BD, kind of help and support the team. But the anchor of that process is really, you know, it's based on um, on inquiry, on asking great questions. So figuring out what's the most important problem I need to solve. How can I create a weekly objective to learn more about that problem? You know, and then and then how can I test and learn? And you know, so a lot of that is really driven by the founders. And what we're hoping is not only does so we use OKRs, we use objectives and key results and setting them weekly and publishing them to the group. So, so the, another important aspect is kind of transparency and authenticity with the group. We all keep a, a, each other honest about what we're picking to work on that week and whether it's really important and meaningful and whether we actually did the work. And then everybody reports back to the group. So, so a lot of the real work goes in, you know, the work is all in, are you asking the right question? You know, it's not in what work are you doing? It's like, what question are you trying to answer? So we really try to focus everyone on like asking the right questions that are going to make a difference in moving them forward. 
So I'll give you an example, right? Through the lens of consumer, right? So let's say you have a, there's a consumer business. This was a, this was a company from a couple of years ago that, you know, I'll change some of the details, but, um, and, and the founders want to keep working on finding the right channel for customer acquisition. So what they want to do is keep testing different customer acquisition channels to see where they can get the cheapest customer acquisition cost. In the meantime, if you look at their customer behavior, their engagement and retention numbers are terrible, right? So basically they're pouring all this, these customers into the top of the funnel and they're losing them all down at the bottom, right? There is no point on asking questions about customer acquisition until you solve engagement and retention. So what we help companies do is hone in on where do they need to be focused? What do they need to be working on right now um, and doing those things in the right order? So we were able to get that team off of, you know, forget about customer acquisition for now. Let's focus on why are people not sticking with this? How can you get them to retain? What are they not getting here that they need? What are the features and content that you can build in this product that are going to keep them. Another interview that I conducted uh, for the podcast, I, I spoke with the investor about how she really is focused in on engagement. Like th those are kind of the metrics that she uses to measure product market fit. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I think that with respect to consumer, because I think at the early stages, customer acquisition costs for consumer business is almost meaningless because your numbers are so small that you're 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 likely capturing either um, a really particular vertical or your early adopters. There's a you know strong effect of sort of people that you know already and your own personal network. So it's meaningless to say you have a great hack as you know when you're when you're talking about low numbers. But engagement and retention right from the beginning, regardless of where those customers came from, is is extremely telling. So, and that, that, so the, the, the CAC is always going to change as you grow, right? It's going to go up. Um, you're going to optimize it and bring it down, but in general, it's going to trend up over time because it's going to get harder and harder, right? So you want to make sure that you really have a strong engine of engagement and retention so that once you start doing the science of customer acquisition, you know, you know, you're selling into a solid product that people really want. I only think customer acquisition cost is relevant at the beginning to the extent it reflects product market fit, right? To the extent it reflects, wow, this is really solving a pain point for me. So it's a proxy for product market fit. That is all it is. Until you have product market fit, I don't care about customer acquisition costs. That's a really, really good point. And I would think as well that if you do have high engagement and people are engagement, uh, engaged with your product, that word of mouth would, would spread as well. There's a company that's sort of a great case study on this, which is from the 2017 class, a company called Blue Fever. I can't say exactly what the number is, but they have a tremendous viral coefficient. So... And it's something that they measure and track, which is every person that comes in uses their service brings a large number of other people into the service. They also have really, really strong engagement and retention um, in their product. So, so those are the things that we look at that together kind of roll up to a really exciting consumer business. And I imagine also with CAC, it's tough, especially in today's climate, uh, just in terms of online marketing, when you really just have two, the, the two bohemians in uh, Facebook and Google, as well as just increased competition, it's hard to have any type of competitive advantage. That's right. That's right. And so when people are trying to pitch a business as the early stages, my CAC is this, my LTV is that. First of all, you don't know what your LTV is really yet, right? Because you just haven't had enough time, right? So it's projected LTV. And like I said, the CAC isn't really reliable. 
So I don't really want to see that. I'm looking for other signals. So like, let's say, let's, let's take um, CPG as an example. Um, so I had a CPG company this year, Fly by Jing. They're making Sichuan chili sauce. It's delicious. Um, totally reinventing Chinese food. So very big vision, but the, but the product right now has 90% um, margins, um, a really, really high reorder rate, and a very strong viral customer acquisition rate. So almost all the sales are driven off earned social media impressions um, of people referring the product to each other and just writing the product to each other. Those are the kind of signals that you're looking for early on, as opposed to just I bought this much in Facebook ads and you know it's looking this profitable because that equation is going to keep moving. We're looking for those underlying signals about you know customers loving the product as opposed to a financial equation around customer acquisition. No, I mean that makes a lot of sense cuz also with engagement uh, with that excellent example that you gave, you know, you're that actually is I think also a sign that you're really building a brand. Building a brand that resonates with people, you know, and 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 yeah, that you know that you can tinker around with the science of Facebook ads and Google ads, but you know, like that's not that's not where you're going to build a billion dollar business, right? That's just ex that's just good execution, which of course you also need, right? But it's not enough on its own. And just taking a step back, because I know that I spoke to another investor that works at a uh, accelerator, and they said that a lot of their app their their applicants it can sometimes be easy in terms of the actual sourcing funnel to to divvy out maybe uh, one that uh, a opportunity that's interesting than not than not interesting because because some of the ideas that that people send or, or projects are working on are more about in the incubation stage, not really the accelerator stage. So I just wanted to hear if you can just, I, I know this is kind of a, a rudimentary question, but just describe the differences between an inc incubator and a uh, accelerator. Sure. Um, so an incubator would really be, the model would be something like Idea Lab or Science incubates a lot of ideas. So, so two local LA examples um, where um, the, the incubation team actually might come up with an idea and match a founder with it and then work with that founder to develop and then spin out the idea. So, um, or a founder might come in and spend some time there workshopping some ideas and the incubator team along with the founder might select one of those ideas to develop and then spin it out into a company. So it's generally, um, the idea is it's an incubator. So if you think about the egg kind of analogy, right, the, the idea is hatched at the incubator. Um, as opposed to an accelerator where you're coming in with something that exists and is fully formed and you have a team to execute it. And, you know, what we're doing is adding fuel, right? And I think one important difference, you know, to illustrate that even further is, you know, when I, when I look at companies and founding teams, one of the questions I ask myself before I bring a company into Techstars is, is this a CEO that I would be willing to work for? I want to have the feel. And so, so it's not, I'm the expert and I'm going to teach you. It's like, is this someone I want to follow? Right. I want to have that level of conviction about a team and a CEO before I bring them in because, because we are going to invest a lot in them and we want to know that they can go out after Techstars and, you know, potentially build a huge company. So I think sometimes people get the sense of an accelerator that it's school and, you know, and they're like, I don't need instruction. I know what I'm doing. I want people who know what they're doing and who think they know what they're doing and who have confidence in their decision-making abilities. You know, the best founders to me are founders that have experience um, and bring a lot of experience in, but know how to ask for help and implement 
help when they get it. Right. That makes sense. I mean, founders that are also teachable. I have a lot of skill in the first place, right? So I'll tell you like the iconic founder that I love is someone, um, you know, the fly by Jing example, again, um, Jenny Gao has a great um, brand management background from Procter and Gamble and also is a world renowned food expert. Right. And, and she's set up her whole supply chain already on her own. She doesn't need, you know, to go to school to learn how to do those things, but you know, she understands how to ask questions and get input and then interpret that input, right? But using her own, you know, extensive background and decision-making skills. Right. No, absolutely. I've, I've also heard from other investors, not only, you know, the pedigree and resume from uh, the actual, you know, CEO and founder, but also on the team that they're able to build, if they're actually able to lure people that come from maybe, you know, very high paying jobs at wonderful institutions, able, able to, you know, take a chance and quit and, and, and quit their jobs and leave and actually join them on the team. That is totally right. I call that, and I need a better analogy. So let me know if you have one, but I call that the Pied Piper effect. And I know don't mean the Silicon Valley TV show. I mean, literally the Pied Piper of the fable, you know, we're blowing the flute and um, all of the, the rats following behind, right? So we look for founders who are Pied Pipers, who have the ability to get people to follow them. I love that analogy. That's great. No, it's terrible because in the analogy, the other people are rats, you know, and I think the Pied Piper actually blows the flute and they jump off a cliff. I need a better analogy. All right. Well, I will... I I will certainly try to work on one or I'll even ask our viewers if they actually have any better analogies. Thank you. We'll certainly include that in the show notes. <laughs> what makes consumers so hard to invest in? Sure. I mean, I think some of the challenges of consumer are around, um, are around growth, you know, and around the idea that you may have product market fit early and, you know, scaling can still be tough because you're constantly having to go out and hire new consumers. I think for a lot of consumer businesses, switching costs are much lower. So you may have a lot more kind of volatility in, 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 in LTV than you might have with enterprise. You know, I mean, I think people look at enterprise, especially SaaS as, you know, and the grass is always greener, but they look at enterprise as it's a formula. You know, you, you sign up customers, you, you generate sales, monthly fee, you know, then all you need to do is make sure people don't churn, right? It seems simpler. Whereas with consumer, you're constantly having to innovate, constantly having to grow into new customer segments, constantly having to find new acquisition channels. It's just a lot, you know, there's a lot more rapid change. But, you know, and, and I think it's hard at the early stages to really find and invest in companies that it's clear from the beginning are going to be able to build a compelling brand because you just don't have that data early on. I think that's extremely well put. I, I had another investor said that the reason why he loves uh, consumer is that consumers are fickle. And so, and that's what, what makes it as well, really, really exciting and really, really hard at the same time. Well, I love that. It's sort of the glass half full perspective, right? I love consumer because consumers are fickle. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, how I, how I think about it is, especially in like the product market fit phase in enterprise at least you can talk to potential customers and ask them what, what are their pain points and maybe build a product that addresses maybe one of their pain points. And you can get that customer feedback. Where in consumer, I feel like that's just a harder thing to do. I think that's true. And I think part of it is people don't necessarily know what they like. And, and you couldn't say to a customer, what's your pain point? You know, if you're trying to sell them, if you're trying to sell them shoes, right? 
So you kind you kind of have to do your research in a roundabout way to discern customer demand through how they act, not what they say. Well, um, I'm also really excited because you are my first LA investor. What makes LA such an exciting ecosystem? Give you a little bit of my perspective on it. And I was in San Francisco in 1999, and it it, it occurs to me that the way LA feels today is a bit like San Francisco felt in 1999, which was. We are in the middle, the knowledge that we're in the middle of creating something great here and we have an awareness of it while it's happening. So I think there's a lot of excitement about the LA tech community and a lot of self-awareness that there are great things happening here and that we're all part of building something really new and special in LA and that it's happening right now. Um, and so that's exciting. And so what does that look like and why is that happening? I think it's a confluence of several things. Um, I think one really important thing is um, the mayor's office and sort of the local government really leaning into innovating around how do we support tech and how do we support things like diversity and inclusion in tech and how do we be intentional about building a strong tech ecosystem that includes everyone um, and lifts up the you know, entire city. Um, I think there's a general willingness to help and a spirit of kind of giving first here in the community where people are open to helping and supporting one another and there's not a feeling of kind of competition and there's not a sense in the LA community, at least in my experience, that this is a zero sum game and for me to win, you have to lose. There's a sense that the more I help other people, the better we are all going to, you know, to be. And that may change over time as, you know, deals become more competitive or capital you know, more cap, too much capital or not enough capital or, or whatever happens. But right now it does feel like there's just a tremendous willingness to be helpful and supportive. I also think we have a couple of really interesting, you know, anchor nodes, things like aerospace and mobility and transportation um, and um, supply chain and logistics. And of course, media and entertainment where LA has always been strong in traditional industries that now are supporting a lot of startup activity. What are some of the reasons why a company that goes through tech stars might not be able to hit their next fundraising series? That's a great question. So, I mean, I think, I think it's really the general question of like, you know, what are the various reasons why companies fail, you know? So I mean, so I think, you know, one example is you could just be working on a problem that's not solvable, right? There could be just no business there. You could do everything right. You could look under all the rocks for product market fit and just fail to find it. Um, you know, and, and it could be absolutely nothing that the team did wrong, right? So that's not the interesting example. Like it does happen, but you know, I think the more interesting example would be, you know, if the team gets too attached to their own ideas and doesn't look in the right place. So like that, back to that example of the, the team that wanted to only work on customer acquisition and didn't want to think about engagement or retention, the team that refuses to ask the right questions, you know, at the right time, right, and isn't disciplined about what they're trying to learn and what problem they're trying to solve, right, they may end up never solving the real problem, yet feeling like they're making progress. So another example would be a team that's totally focused on acquiring customers and has a massive margin problem, right? They're never going to be able to build a fundable business because the minute they go into an investor meeting, the investor is going to go, well, this is great, but I don't care about your customer acquisition costs because your margins are terrible. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's kind of about being really clear eyed and really honest with yourself about, you know, what, you know, what you need to be accomplishing. I, I think the other thing is sometimes people get attached to stories about what's happened to someone else in the funding environment. And they say, well, I, I, I talked to this other founder 
you know, and they raised a seed round and, you know, they only had 1500 a month in, in revenue. And so we should be able to do it. Every situation is different. You cannot extrapolate from what happened to someone else. I think that's a very good point about that every situation is different. What are some additional value adds, uh, apart from saying, I went through the Techstars Accelerator, that Techstar provides to your portfolio companies? Sure. So, I mean, there's the, there's the kind of personal level, which is I'm, I'm involved with these founders. I'm still involved with them, you know, as much as they want um, me to be. Um, helping them with their fundraising strategy, helping them with hiring. I've done, you know, interviewing for, you know, companies that I've, that I've worked with in the past. So that relation, that personal relationship continues. We also have some pretty meaningful kind of global offerings. So we've got, you're always um, able to use the global perks, which are things like um, cloud hosting credits and travel and email services, you know, lots of the things that startups need. So that goes on forever. Um, we're, we have a really big talent initiative. So there's actually a private Techstars talent network where we're sourcing candidates across our entire portfolio and helping companies fill open roles because that was identified as a really big pain point for all growing companies. Um, we also have a, a private social network called Techstars Connect. Um, where there's a lot of founder to founder support um, going on. So you might run into, you know, need to reach out to a founder that's working with an investor in Europe who's approached you and you don't have any other connection to that investor except another Techstars company. So you can reach out to them there, and get feedback on that investor or get an introduction to a new customer. So there's a lot of leverage and support given we're global and there's almost 2000 companies in the portfolio. Now there's a ton of help there. And then here in LA, we, um, we have a really active alumni network. There's monthly meetups of that group. Um, so there's a lot of kind of community support happening. Um, you know, once you get out. That's awesome. What are some consumer trends that you're most excited about? Oh my gosh. So I am most excited about things like sustainability and climate reality, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, and, and I think sustainability broadly defined as impact